This is Chris Host Calgary, Wild Dogs and Adventure and Adolescence, and you're listening to The Dave and Steve Show. Previously on The Dave and Steve Show. And finally, one of the two twins turned to one of our, our moms who was sitting in a lawn chair and said, go F yourself, lady. I got the idea of these nanners. Uh, I put the, put the nanners in the, in the street, and then people come and, and they park the car around the nana tree. They don't, they don't go in the pothole. And so this man was in a coma for 39 years. I, I don't mean to be disrespectful, but how can you have charisma in a coma? The, uh, he was French. But yeah, Steve, I, I know exactly who you're talking about. We yeah. don't need to say his name, but I hope he's dead. But I will say that the byproduct is we're, we're seeing um, a lot more diverse stories out there in the content that we're seeing. And, and um, we're not just a wash in, um, in the same, you know, demographic faces we're seeing. It's, that's kind of nice. I swear um, to God, I swear to God, I will punch you. Yeah, that's where. <laughs> yeah, I would rather just go on and talk about Harry Potter. I was pouring the coals to my old lady, <laughs> and I just thought the best way I had an epiphany. The best way to plug a hole is with a banana. There was an intense buildup, you know, like almost like when you're gonna sneeze and it's coming and it's built up inside and it's gonna just blast across, and then all of a sudden it stops. How do you take that, Steve? Uh, with cream and sugar, thank you. That was a little bitter. <laughs> show number 75. 75 of the Dave and Steve Show. I am Dave, sitting right alongside me, Amir, 27 miles away, is Steve. Bazinga! And from parts unknown, the lovely and buxom Tracy. Tracy, we got nothing from you. You're muted. You are. <laughs> what a great day to podcast. I was it's muted because I was uh, making noises during the. Uh, in the... Yeah, it's Steve celebrating. You're celebrating it's this like a true professional. Me, baby. No, not me this time. Woo! <laughs> Stop the show. It's show 75 of the Dave and Steve show. We're going to do something special tonight. And I didn't talk about this with the guys beforehand. I want to lead things off. So we've been giving Steve a lot of shit over the last couple of weeks about having a podcast, about having a rival podcast to the Dave and Steve show. Um, and as weeks have gone on and Steve has released more and more episodes, I have fallen in love with with Steve's podcast. The podcast is called The Damn Truth with two M's. If you didn't know, uh, you can find it wherever hot podcasts are sold. And what I would like to do tonight with Steve's blessing, which I'm asking him on the air, so he's going to look like a real dick if he says no, is I would actually like to play one of the full episodes of The Damn Truth. And I, I'm, I'm being dead serious. I'd like to play, I'd like to play uh, Okanagan Part 2. In its entirety, because it's about 15 minutes long, so I figure that's about digestible. I don't want to go part three because it was like 45 minutes, and I don't want to go part one because that kind of sets things up. I want people to come in right in the middle so that they have questions and want to go back and listen, but also want to see how the story wraps. So, Steve, as long as you're okay with it, we're going to lead things off right, right off the bat by playing Okanagan part two from The Damn Truth. You good with that? I, I find it a little unorthodox, but if if you must, uh, okay. But this is weird. This is not. I that's I. How much money did I tell you I would give you for that? Right, wonderful. So we're gonna play 
This is The Damn Truth. Again, D-A-M-M, because I want to make sure you get it right so you can find it when you look for it. The Damn Truth Podcast. You can find it wherever podcasts are offered. And this is, you, you don't need to know what Okanagan Part 2 means. You'll figure it all out as the, as the story unfolds. But go listen to it. Then go hit subscribe. Go listen to the podcast in its entirety because all the episodes have been fantastic. And I personally can't wait for more. So we'll be right back after you listen to that. This is Steve Dam, and welcome to the Damn Truth. I'm I, I'm your host, and I'm going to be uh, be telling some telling some stories on this podcast. Uh, tonight is part two of a three part series called Okanagan. Uh, part two takes place in Okanagan. <laughs> it all takes place in Okanagan. Yeah, some of it takes place in Omac, but tonight. It's Okanagan Part 2, and that's Part 2 of the worst gig I ever played. There were four of us that had made the trip to Okanagan in the van my parents had foolishly lent me. Six, if you counted Toby's mother, Marty, who sang with us regularly and made the trip up separately with her husband, Walter. We were about to play two nights at the most happening joint in a 50-mile radius, allegedly. Unfortunately, all the money that came into said happening joint did not appear to have made it past the ground floor of the place. More unfortunately was that our rooms were not in the money zone. Our rooms were the kind of rooms you would expect to see in Anthony Perkins, dressed in a wig and his mother's clothes, hiding in the shower. But you would be mistaken. Although incredibly heinous murders frequently took place at the fictional Bates Hotel, I'm pretty sure the Bates rooms had things like soap, doorknobs, and acceptable health code practices. Norman Bates would have run screaming from these rooms. He may have been a killer, but his modest motel was tidy. Please understand, I do not wish to keep coming back to the rooms. There's just, there's so much more to this story than just how bad the rooms were. It's, it, it's just that I'm not a good enough writer to explain to you, the listener, how absolutely awful these suites were. I kept asking the guys if they were sure they had been up to date on their tetanus shots. So, as we made our way to the lobby, did, did I... Did I mention that the windows in the room had long spiderweb cracks in them, some of which were thoughtfully scotch taped to avoid further breakage? All right. All right. I'm sorry. As we made our way to the lobby, we heard someone ask a woman at the front desk if she was the owner, and she had replied that she was. We decided to walk down and introduce ourselves as the band and glean any details that might have been glossed over by Full Ride, the band that had graciously passed this gig along to us. The owner was a little person. Not a little person, little person, but she was not tall and not heavy. A dwarf? I don't know. She was tiny, but not... She was very small, and had a well-kept blonde, loose-curl afro the size of a beach ball. We politely introduced ourselves 
as the band. And she looked at us as if she didn't think we were up to the challenge. Like she sent for the army and what she got were some Cub Scouts. It was clear that this woman would accept no crapola from anyone and was not to be messed with or crossed. I didn't take offense to this. And as I saw in her face, not disappointment that we were going to be bad musicians, but that we might not be up to the task of playing her bar. The other guys got this sense too, and we all assured her that we came to play and we meant business. She still eyed us suspiciously, like one would survey a creaky rope bridge over a ravine. She then advised us to get some dinner at the restaurant and make sure security knew who we were, for some reason. Security? Okay. We went in, did our sound check, and did indeed meet security. Two brawny men in t-shirts with the sleeves strategically cut off for maximum ventilation. Introduced themselves with their names, but I knew them as mullet and no mullet. I was surprised that they had wireless headset walkie-talkies, like I had only seen special operations military types use in the movies. This is equipment that outdated every other machine in the Caribou Inn by 10 years. They were nice guys that assured us that no matter what, we would be safe and they would make sure nothing happened to us. They told us the place fills up quick on the weekend and it gets ugly fast. They said it was the only place around that had liquor, music, and entertainment, and that most of the people have a lot of steam to blow off from their lousy collective weeks. We thought the headsets were a little unnecessary. We were incorrect. And we figured we were when they sincerely apologized for not having chicken wire up in front of the stage to shield us. We had a pleasant dinner. The food in the restaurant, that, that was quite good. No complaints. The food was part of our payment. And although it wasn't fancy, it was hearty and delicious. We were seated near the bar where we enjoyed some stories of the local characters swapping stories of drunken indiscretions that bordered on the supernatural. Okay, so we were up at the creek. Which creek? Not which creek. The creek I took Tom to fish at uh, last year. I didn't say which creek. I said, which creek? No, it's the other side of the canyon. Of course, we were drunk at the time. When? Then. You're actually pretty drunk now, too. No, I was drunk then with Bill. Uh, Tom, who was with me. Bill was with you? Tom was with me, and Bill stayed home. He'll tell you we... Wait, was I telling you the creek story? Did you say Tom was a witch? Fascinating. We took the stage at 9 p.m. For those of you not familiar with how a cover band works, they typically start around 9 and play until the bar closes at 1.30 a.m. or so. You get a 10 to 15 minute break from playing about every 50 minutes to an hour or so. We call it playing, and it is fun, but it's also hard work. And as a drummer, 
I'm told that I expel the same amount of physical energy as a professional basketball, football, or soccer player. I would believe that's a fair assessment. But this night, I was sick with a throat infection. I had to sing lead and back up in a room that was so thick with tobacco smoke, you would have thought that a plantation had caught fire. Tonight, purely from a physical point of view, was going to be one of the toughest gigs I had ever played. So I climbed behind the drum drum set and heard the pop of the amplifiers come alive. Toby calls out the first song, a Garth Brooks tune that was sure to please the crowd in Okanagan. Nope. Nope. I heard the groans and the booing before I even peered out to see what the audience looked like. Lights were shining down on us from the stage, and it takes a while for your eyes to adjust to being able to see into the audience. There were more people in that giant ballroom than I'd seen at any one of our gigs. The place was packed to the gills. There must have been close to 150 to 200 people out there, and they did not care for our song selection. At all. So after speeding through the first tune, we made a friendly plea to the audience and asked them what they wanted to hear. Doom. Utter doom loomed over us as we gave them permission to call out what they wanted to hear. To keep it simple, we had half of the bar wanting Slayer, Megadeth, or some other metal band that I'd never even heard of. The other side of the bar sure didn't want to hear any bubblegum pop music like that Garth Brooks we just played. They preferred country music, and they were prepared to angrily scream both musical camps until they heard what they wanted. The crowd did indeed get out of hand very quickly. And, and there's this joke that you can use to diffuse the situation when someone heckles you. It, it's designed to turn the tables on the yelling audience member and embarrass them to get the crowd back on your side. And it goes like this. The audience member yells, You suck! You. Now, sir, let's quiet down. I don't come to your place of work and knock the broom out of your hands, spit in the toilet you're trying to clean, push the wrong Happy Meal combo button on your touch. Well, you know, one of those. You choose one of those and it's meant to be whatever. Or if you want to go for the jugular, the joke infers the audience member is a prostitute. Uh, typically, the joke happens. Tables turn. Audience member shuts up. We couldn't do that here. For one thing, there were too many of them. The other thing was that anything we thought up had a better than average chance of hitting too close to home for some of these folks. The joke would cease to be absurd, which therefore would be too literal and mean. And that's not only impolite, but would have probably got us cut, shot, or very badly beaten. And all the mullets and headset walkie-talkies in the world wouldn't be able to save us from this crowd. I looked to the back of the bar at Mullet for some kind of guidance. He just gave me the thumbs up, nodded, and brushed his fingers at us to just keep going like everything would be okay. And we started running our song list. And as the alcohol started lubricating the anger and distaste in the minds of our audience, the booing gave way to cheers and applause. But the trouble wasn't over yet. Normally, when a fight breaks out at a bar here in the Seattle area, 
The place shuts down for a while. Everything stops, people stare, the music grinds to a halt, grief counselors are brought in, it's a big darn deal. But in Okanagan, an altercation broke out every 10 minutes or so, and people being ejected from the bar each time. But new people would come in, and then they would start to get pushy. It was then that we saw the value of the wireless headset radios. At one point, I looked over to the left of the stage to see a very large woman reach across her table and without standing up, lift another woman almost completely over her head, then swivel 90 degrees to her left and begin to slam the woman she was carrying in her clutches repeatedly into the fire exit door. The door was blocked shut by several feet of snow that had been plowed up against the building outside as a fire hazard, but that did not deter the woman doing the slamming. Again, without standing, the sitting woman used the other woman as a battering ram to finally open the door enough to push her body completely out the door, kicking and screaming. The woman then pulled the fire exit shut, put her cigar back in her mouth, and continued listening to the rest of the conversation at her table as if nothing had happened. Part of me was appalled at seeing such a violent act of inhumanity displayed from one person to another, yet a different part of me was relieved that the exit door I had been eyeing as my escape route was now cleared to be open. Mullet and no mullet didn't even bother to step in and investigate. I guess they figured if the woman didn't even stand up, it wasn't worth the bother walking over there. Plus, I think that lady could have taken him. I, I think she could have taken him. Security was big, but respectful. They handled themselves professionally and methodically. Even when they were slapped, pushed, yelled at, spit on, spilled on, and probably bitten, they didn't get angry. They just kept calm, picked up the offending party or parties, and casually walked them out the door, coordinating expertly on their headset mics. <laughs> they, could, they could work their way around the room and the crowd and warn one another of any danger of being hit with a bottle or being thrown up on. And at the first 10-minute break, I think we all stayed on stage instead of our usual mingling with the crowd. Today, you could look at any of us in the face and ask us why we stayed on stage for that first break, and we would all answer the same way. We were terrified. Any sane person would have been. That first set, although ending well with lots of dancers, still drew several looks from audience members that we had never seen before. One person stared all of us down individually and pulled his finger around his neck slowly, which meant he either wanted to slit our throats or measure each of us for a dress shirt collar size. Hey, Buddy Holly was there. Yeah, not the spirit of the band leader of the Crickets, who famously died in an airplane crash with the Big Bopper and Richie Valens, but actual... The actual Buddy Holly, frozen in time, alive and thriving in Okanagan, Washington, in the mid-1990s. Historians will be interested in knowing that Buddy, in horned rim glasses and the pomade raven black signature haircut, was now living as a woman in the north-central Washington town. Or, there was a woman in her 20s that looked exactly like Buddy Holly the day before the music died. Either way... She got the band's attention and seemed to be enjoying herself to our song selection, none of which were tunes penned by Buddy Holly. 
Dave, my friend from preschool on up, was the rhythm guitar player of Longshot and really the undisputed heart and soul of the band. He looked at Buddy and then to me and asked if I would go score an autograph. I declined. But every time she came into view on the dance floor, Dave would catch my eye and give me a look like the Buddy, the Buddy Holly had just walked in. And the joke did not get old. As the night came to a close, the bar began to filter people outside. I just sat behind the drums, utterly pooped. My sore throat had survived singing through the smokiest night I've probably ever played, but it felt worse. I, I wondered if I could even make it through another night of this. Normally, I would immediately go strip off my sweat-soaked clothes, and I, I work hard back there, and hop into a nice hot shower to rinse clean the film or grime from, you know, the, that accompanies such a night of drumming in the honkiest of honky-tonks. However, facing the prospect of a hotel room that a Zagat's guide would undoubtedly review with the words, burn it. I wondered if my parents had any wet nap packets outside in the van's glove box. I was realizing there was no hope of an EPA-approved shower. We watched as our brand new bass player, Eric, was invited to an after-hours party at a local's house. He accepted The rest of us thought he was out of his mind, but in hindsight, Eric had simply found a way out of our hotel room predicament. The group, including Buddy Holly, whisked him away, and he was gone, with no idea where to and when or if he would be back. We honestly worried for his safety. I climbed off the bandstand, and Mullet walked up to us and told us we did a great job. We asked if it was always this rowdy, and he said no. No mullet chimed in and said, Friday night is always the slow night, because not everyone comes out after working hard all week. He said it would really pick up the next night. It's like they'd planned to tell us this way. We congratulated them on keeping the peace and trudged up the terrible stairs to our certainly terrible night of sleeping. I took one look back at the still illuminated stage with all of our instruments set up and ready to play the next night, the rowdier night and couldn't help, but think of another band miles away. Full ride was leaving the stage somewhere at the exact same instant as per Washington state law. I imagine the leader of that band was thinking of us and beginning to giggle, giggle and share an enormous laugh with the rest, with the rest of the band about what he had done to a rival group. I plotted my revenge. But first, sleep. Terrible, awful sleep. This is to be concluded in Okanagan Part 3, the final chapter. I'm Steve Dam. Thanks for listening to The Damn Truth. We'll see you next week. So once again, that was the Damn Truth Podcast. Go find it now. Highly entertaining. We were just saying uh, while the, the thing was playing and we were chatting back and forth with one, with one another, when Steve first told us he was doing this podcast, 
Steve's got a lot of experience in doing voiceover work. He's got a lot of experience, obviously, on this show doing the podcast. But when he actually started doing the show, for me, it was a, it was, uh, I thought, man, this is pretty subdued because I know Steve is this really funny, energetic guy. And as you heard in that episode, as, as the show has progressed, Steve is starting to find a real voice and a real storytelling voice to this. And yes. so I, I likened it. Uh, my wife said, describe the podcast to me. And I said, imagine a much less evil Bill Cosby. A great, great, <laughs> great storytelling, but none of the drugging aspect that came along, as, to, at least to my knowledge. I've known you for a long time, Steve. I've never known you to be a drugger. Yeah, so, 50% less picture pages. <laughs> that's, that's right. Right. So, but Absolutely. He, he is a fan it's, of the pudding pop. Garrison Keeler with uh, with um, less Midwestern charm? sensibilities. Yeah, <laughs> not charm, not charm. No. So I was out last week. I was uh, traveling for business. I had to go to New York City, and uh, it was it was really nice. I mean, the the thing that New York is doing uh, that's you know different. Every state's different, but the thing that they're doing for indoor dining or indoor really anything is you have to provide proof of vaccination before you enter the establishment. And so it does, again, I don't care where you stand on vaccines and things like, I'm not here to tell you whether you should or shouldn't. I'm saying for me, it made me personally feel a lot better going into these restaurants, knowing that everybody in there had to show some form of vaccination to get through the door. So that made things a lot better, but we were still very careful. You know, we wore masks all the time. We tried not to get around a lot of people uh, until... <laughs> We, of course, in the middle of a pandemic, we go to New York while New York is hosting the Feast of San Gennaro, which is a giant, multi-block, massive Italian celebration, Italian heritage celebration that has carnival games and food vendors and people selling lots of little tchotchkes and all that kind of stuff. And you can't escape it. It's just massive, especially because it's held right in the area where we actually were. And so it was one of those things where... We definitely did our best to avoid anybody, and thankfully nobody came. I mean, we're all back now, and everybody's still healthy, and there was a, a pretty good chunk of us that went. Um, nobody caught anything, so we're all very thankful of that. But it is, man, you get to a certain point, like you're trying your best to avoid people, and in New York City, it's kind of difficult. So Yeah, I've, I've read articles about just how many people are there. Yeah, do, right? Doing things yeah. and living. Yeah, so I, mean, I heard it's like three times the size of Ellensburg. So yeah, <laughs> everybody knows what Ellensburg is. So, uh, so the I, I'm back now. But last week, if you didn't hear, go back and listen because Steve put together a hell of a show. It's a show that highlights some of the sponsors of the Dave and Steve show. And if you don't know what we're talking about, or if that sounds lame, just go listen to the show and you'll you'll get a kick out of it. I I have big news though, uh, and I have big wow. news that is somewhat embarrassing to me. I guess embarrassing. I don't know. I don't know if it's embarrassing, but it is. When Steve and I were kids, there was a little uh, a little market in our tiny little town uh, called Johnny's Serve You. Johnny's was this little supermarket. You could go there and get milk and eggs and things like that. But it was it was tiny. It, initially, Steve, it was like four aisles. And eventually they expanded. They kind of busted out a wall and made it a little bit bigger. It was this tiny little... Oh, my little... God. You bought I bought. Johnny's I'm the owner of Johnny's. And you're moving no. back. No. Okay. So what I was going to say is up here because I feel like I'm yelling and I shouldn't be yelling. <laughs> so Johnny's had a guy who worked there named Ray and yeah. Ray was a fantastic person. I don't know whatever happened to Ray. I wish I knew what happened to Ray. Ray. Ray was a great guy. Just one of those people that was the nicest person you would ever meet. Yep. 
this will all circle back to what I'm about to say that's the embarrassing thing about me. So Ray, for weeks and weeks and weeks, he built it up to us that he had purchased a remote control, gas-powered Apache helicopter. This thing was, you had to put real gas in it. It was going to be awesome. He had found it. This was back in the day. There was no internet. He bought it out of the back of a magazine. He was all excited. And then weeks went by. Hey, Ray, did you get your helicopter yet? No, it hasn't come in yet. And then we'd get our stuff and leave and come back a few days later. Ray, anything yet? No, it hasn't showed up yet. So then Dave, finally, Dave, go ahead. Dave's not, you cannot minimize this. Like if you went through Johnny's survey, you talked to Ray, it's not like Ray bothered you with it. You wanted to know. Right. Like you wanted right. to know, did, has the helicopter come in? Where's, where's the helicopter? Yeah. It was exciting. He, yep. I mean, everybody was rooting for this guy yep. and his helicopter. So the day comes, Ray's helicopter shows up. Ray's over the moon. Can't wait to get home. He's going to put it all together. He's going to fly this thing. It's going to be awesome. The next, well, maybe not the next day, but a couple days later, we go in. Ray's pretty quiet. He's not really saying a whole lot. And it's you would expect Ray to be running up saying, I flew it around. It was great. It looked just like none of that. He was just sulking behind the counter, kind of doing his thing. So we asked him, Ray, what happened? What's going on with the helicopter? Is it as awesome as you thought? And he said, well, I flew it one time and I crashed it and I got a bunch of fuel all over it and it kind of burned it and ruined it and it won't fly now. So he flew it exactly one time after all that buildup. Yeah. So now let's talk about, at least recently, my helicopter. Do either of oh, you no. care to guess what my helicopter was? Think about something that I've talked about several times on the show. A, I, a, a, the guitar that you ordered? No, no, no. This I'll, I'll just say because this is not good radio to have it silent while you guys try yeah. and guess what this might be. I guess I wasn't listening that closely. Can I can I go back and listen to past episodes and see? For, yeah, for, let's just take a take for, a minute and go back and listen to thirty six hours <laughs> for weeks and weeks and weeks. I went on and on and on about the Peloton bike that I oh, had yeah. ordered. Yeah. Oh yeah, and I was so excited, and this thing showed up, and I even said at the time it will go one of two ways. I will never stop riding this thing. Or it will collect dust, and I will not ride it, and it will just sit there. Today, I sold the Peloton to oh, uh, wow. a, a co-worker. Uh, I got rid of it. And, and it's not because... So I, I use the treadmill almost every day. I would say I use it at least five, if not six times a week. And I go for about an hour on the treadmill. So this is not lack of exercise or lack of desire to exercise. I actually just found it just totally screwed with my knees. I can get on the treadmill, which is a high impact, supposed to be terrible for your knees, and it is, but I can get on that and go for an hour, no problem at all, do five miles, six miles. I would ride that Peloton for 10 minutes, and something about my body makeup, the way it's, my body is formed, no matter where I put the seat or where I put the handlebars, it would kill my knees. And for like a day and a half after, if I tried to go up or down the stairs, I looked like I was 80 years old. Like, it just killed my knees. So this thing that I just... <laughs> I was so excited about. I talked about it nonstop. I think I maybe put five hours on it, maybe 10, and now it's gone. It's not even in my house anymore. Luckily, I because Pelotons are in such high demand and they take forever to get, I really I lost about 150 bucks on, on the Did, Peloton. Uh, any fuel get spoiled, uh, spilled on it? <laughs> right. Catch right. fire? That would have been fun. But uh, that... so when they brought the Peloton in and they set it up, because they that's part of the the whole gimmick is free in-home delivery and setup. They walk you through it. What that really amounts to is, is two of us, meaning two of the three of us, 
show up at your house. They roll it out of the back of the truck. They turn the screen on to make sure it works. And they're like, all right, you'll figure it out. And they walk out. Like, there's no, it's not, you're not really getting training. Yeah, you're not, nobody's standing there with a clipboard saying, all right, get on it. We're yeah, do the first nobody. 45 minutes, and then I'm going to show you how you do the calisthenics afterwards. Yeah, nobody taught me how to click in my shoes or anything. So the point of all that is that when they set it up, when they brought it in and set it, <laughs> set it up, they just left it there, and I left it there because where they put it was where I told them to put it because that's where I wanted it and then I didn't move it again so I go to move this I'm like well I'm going to throw this in the back of the truck so I can take it to the those things are ridiculously heavy they are cast iron like stupidly heavy and so I had a moment of panic because this guy had a very tight schedule he actually goodness I don't know what happened there he actually lives down in Vancouver Washington so he's three hours south of where we are and he had to get going so i had to get it to him about an hour away so that he could take off on his trip the i'm pretty sure i'm not positive but i'm pretty sure i have about four hernias now as a result of getting this thing into the back of the truck in order to get it to him they probably make it that heavy to uh to discourage you from selling it yeah exactly keep it from reselling it Yeah. yeah and it's one of those things too where uh you get, listen, the, by and large, the Peloton service was great. I have no problem with the Peloton service. And in fact, when the treadmill that I have that I've had for eight years, nine years, when it finally craps out and I got to figure it's pretty close with my giant ass running on it every day, when that thing finally dies, I will, I will consider a Peloton treadmill. I have nothing against Peloton whatsoever. They make it really hard to cancel Peloton. It is one of those like... You're in the mafia now. Like, hey, you, you're in. You can't it's get like back It's like a out. standard gym membership. Yeah, I, exactly. Yeah. exactly. Totally. I feel like I'm in the Church of Scientology now where I've, like, I've seen enough and I kind of want to get out. And they're, they're like, no, no. You know what you should do instead of canceling your subscription? You should pause it. Pause your subscription for three months and take some time. Think about it. So I paused my subscription for three months. I didn't cancel it. But... Uh, at some point, I'm going to have to decide whether or not, and chances are I'll just sign back up for it and not ever use it. No, you got to cancel that. You think so? You have to, you have yeah. to confront this. <laughs> that would make a good, do it on the podcast. All right. Yeah. Hey, yeah, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll call the, we'll call the number together. All three of it. And we'll all three of them give them shit. Like Steve, the whole time. <laughs> Steve, I want to know what you did last week, but I have a question. Mm-hmm. The week I was gone which is sort of last week, why the hell couldn't you get your shit together to record a podcast? Because at the end of the last episode, I said, so it'll be some best of, or it'll be some recording they're going to do with their own show. And Steve, oh, no, oh, no, no, no. We're doing a show. What happened? So this is exactly what I was going to talk about anyway, because it it totally ate up like a bunch of my week. Um, So... When I recorded the um, the show that the three of us were on, um, just as like the dry run or whatever, yep. so that not not to be confused with the rival podcast, which is just you. Yeah, that yeah. you seem and, to be able to record. For some just reason, fine. It works fine. Yeah. There's absolutely no reason why that's 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 a hassle. Yep. Um, so I took a picture of my setup of how um, how I had the board set up and everything because it's it's a little bit tricky, and I set it up exactly that way uh, when when Tracy and I started into it and. We, I, I went through forums and why the hell it wouldn't work this time, but it worked just fine. The last time it came down to, uh, 
anyway, the software program that, that I had errored out, um, every time I clicked a certain way that we, uh, we were going to try to do it. Okay. And the difference is this is a new machine. Um, not, it's not the same machine that I, uh, that I recorded the first one on. So the settings are a little different or the version's a little different or whatever. So I uninstalled it and I reinstalled it. There's a chance it'll work now, but, um, the time Tracy's like, just have something going in the background so you can see if it records you and it at the same time. I did that for, I don't know, 10 hours, just <laughs> trying to get through it because it was eating me alive. Yeah. It was just so infuriating because I really wanted to record that show. And it also meant um, that I would have a hard time putting together a clip show because I couldn't get the thing to, right. I'd have to take and drop and it would have been really, really hard. So I had to literally just grab the clips that we had of, of commercials and throw them in. That was a lot it was a lot easier. It's kind of a cop out, but I, I thought that I thought it turned out okay. But yeah, um, it did. Here's what I don't understand. It we've talked about this. So I'm gonna give you a get out of jail free card with what I'm about to say for a portion of it. I have said on this show several times that you have changed and upgraded your equipment multiple times to sound better. It's obvious mm -hmm. you care about it because there was a point in the show where you were literally just using a headset mic. And now yeah. you've gone through several iterations of hardware and all sorts of extra things. Can you stop now? Can you stop changing computers and microphones and headsets and everything else and just go with the setup that you know how to set up? Yeah, I can, actually. Um, I, I upgraded my computer. Everything's, you know, I have a, I have a decent machine now. I was, run, I was running uh, a computer that was ancient by computer um, times and now now it's just old do you mean so, the one that worked <laughs> the one that worked actually was just it, i mean it, it was a solid little you know surface that my uh, that my son uses and shout out to my, microsoft yeah so i can't uh, i mean i can't keep borrowing his computer to do my grown-up dad podcast right so so I ended up getting a surplus computer from my, uh, my work that uh, shut down their office. They had a whole bunch of gear. And so I got a, I got a computer and it's, it's great. It runs fast, but apparently the version of yeah, the except for the no worky part, it's, uh, so, so I spent a, <laughs> uh, I spent a ridiculous amount of time trying to make that work and really wanting to do that well so chasing down so what is the is status just... now where are we at now you said there's a chance it would work are we saying like better than 51 percent or just south of that um i'd say it's 50 50 okay uh, i good i did the um uh, i did the reinstall today and you know well i, I have to i have to monkey around I'm, I'm going to invest another five hours in this process so 50 50 is basically what you have when you're plugging in a usb cord and you can point it like one way or the other way yeah and uh that's that's the best you're giving us right now you, you typically you either get it right or you get it right and not know that you got it right and flip it over get it wrong and then you flip it back over and you get it right again so, so that's that's where i'm at with technology these days i am i am smart enough to get it set up initially and get it working and the moment anything goes wrong with it i'll, I'll give you a, a very simple case in point that highlights this exact thing i have led lights in my office here and 
I can change them. They change color. And and it was just an Amazon purchase. They're like some no-name light bulb you've never heard of. I I have two that every time I turn the lights on, they just sit and blink. And I couldn't figure out how to fix it. To, so to solve it, I just unscrewed them. So now I have two lights in my office that don't even... The one directly above me doesn't even work because... <laughs> If it goes wrong, I'm like, well, I, I don't, I don't know how to fix this. So it's your switch. I think you probably need a three-way, or um, it's a special uh, multi-mode switch that you need to put in. I, I, I had the same problem with I, my. I love fan. you, but they worked for several months before this started happening. So well, I'm right. Uh, <laughs> so here's the thing, Steve. You've got so we have a couple of of uh, on location shows coming up. We've mm-hmm. got a Halloween one that will be coming up soon. We've got a Christmas one because every year we like to go back and visit our pals at the North Pole. Yeah. And then probably in January is when I take my next business trip. So you've got between yeah. now and January to get this shit figured out. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So that's at least I, seven computer changes between now and then. It's not. It's worse than that because I have some pretty big guests coming on the other podcast that I need to well, figure out how you to do. get them. Yeah, yeah of course. Well, so, yes, that's very nice. Uh, Tracy, what'd you get up to last week? Well, yeah, I did something I haven't done in a very long time, and uh, and I did it. I didn't. I did it for a couple of reasons. One is because I really needed something to do, and the other is that uh, you know it's timing and opportunity came together. So what I did is I actually interviewed for a position, a different position where I work. Oh, And uh, it's mm-hmm. interesting because um, where I work, I work for a nonprofit. And uh, it's uh, not like the corporate world. The organizational chart is wide, not deep. There's basically two people between me and the CEO. Yep. And so opportunities for uh, like managerial positions or things like that. Uh, everybody wears a lot of hats. You do a lot of things. So managerial positions don't come up very often. In fact, I mean, I would say I'd get a, I have a better chance of getting in the house of Lords than maybe a manager spot. You, the the um, 80s hair metal yeah, band. And I'm not even English. That's the, uh, the other part of that. Think That's about that would, that is, that is a, that is a, what we call a blocker. Yeah. That's an obstacle for sure. And so, I uh, so I went ahead and interviewed for that. Now the, the funny thing about that is I I got married the month before I went to work at this company. Now the reason I'm saying that is this: when I go for an interview, I'm going to sit down with people, and it's virtual, just like what we're doing right now. But uh, I'm talking with people that I've worked with for a very long time. I have as much chance of helping them understand that I am something different than they imagine than me coming home. And talking to my wife for an hour and letting her imagine that I am a different person yeah. than she's known for 17 yep. years, right? Yep. They they either know that what I am and want that or they don't. But I didn't care because I actually wanted something to do. And, uh, and so I would very much like this position because uh, I'd be a lot better at it than some of the people who do these positions. But So that's what I was going to ask you. So you haven't heard back yet? No, and I have another, I have like the round two of this uh, 17 year challenge uh, yeah. tomorrow. Just like and you, just like you, the people interviewing are also bored. So they're like, yeah, I'll get in on this interview. And all of a sudden you got 28 people interviewing you because they have nothing else to do in life right now. Yeah, I have seven or eight people that are in my interview tomorrow and some that I've known for a long time and some I've known for a little while. But and so I have to talk about myself like uh, they don't know me. 
So it's, let me let me strange. let me ask you guys both a question. I'll, I'll answer for myself first, just because I haven't had a lot of interviews. If I look back on my sort of chain of command through the years, chain of command that was stupid. If I look at my job history through the years, my job history has been. I haven't had many jobs. And if I, when I got on with Microsoft, which is where I am now, it's exactly what Tracy said it is, which the entire interview process sort of changes. And you almost know ahead of time if you've got a shot at the job, a real tangible shot. And so as I've gone through, I don't want to inflate this to make it sound like I'm cooler than I am. I, I haven't lost a, a job that I have interviewed for. I haven't been turned down for anything that I have met with somebody in person and had a proper interview. There's been you know jobs I've applied for and haven't heard anything back or heard a no thank you. But if I've seen them face to face, I've gotten the job. And so I'm curious, we'll start with Steve. Steve, have you ever met with somebody face-to-face -face for a job interview and not got the job? Because I feel like I'm asking you because I know what a good salesperson you are and I know especially how well you can sell yourself. Now include the guy you almost gave pink eye. Right? Yeah. 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 Okay. I forgot so how, the much, pink eye. how much time you got? Because <laughs> I, I have, I have interviewed for a ton of jobs and for the most part, Dave, the ones that I've interviewed for have gone, <clears throat> have typically gone my way. Um, there have been a couple for one large corporation that I did that I thought I was going to get and no, like, and I have no idea why, because it's their policy to not tell you anything afterwards. And it like, it went really well. Like I was really excited about it. The people seemed to be very excited about it. I, you know, I answered all the questions, everything. And then it was like, nope. <laughs> and that's it. That's yeah. all you get. Yeah. Um, and I've, I've definitely had other interviews where I've gone in and I realized I did not want that job. Right. Um, right. And that's what and, I mean. That's different. Like that is, yeah. I'm saying ones that you truly wanted, you knew you wanted as you interviewed, but you just didn't quite get. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. There, there've been, there've been a few and uh, I always look at it this way. If they, if I'm my authentic self and not really trying to sell myself, um, I, I, I feel like I need to do that and be my most authentic person yep. so that they may know what they're getting. I'm not showing up as a character that I'm creating off the cuff. Um, right. And what served me and the way I, the way I kind of cope with it afterwards, if it's a job that I really wanted, I, um, I just take it as, okay, well, if I would have gotten this job, I would have worked for somebody that really didn't want to work for me right? or right. didn't want me to work yeah, for them. Yeah, yeah, and, totally. and I'm, and I, and I'm okay with that, but there, there have been some ones that I've been really, really, you know, bummed about. There was one job interview that I did that was so weird that I actually told the other people that were interviewing for the job to not do it. <laughs> like I, I like it was a bad carnival ride. Like oh, whoa, no, it was. I don't like this. It was weird and it was strange and it was voyeuristic and they threw crazy shit and it was shit. It was shit. Wow, that they threw that's, at us and it was really, really stupid. And it was like it was a group interview. Might have something to say about that. Oh, it ahead. was absolutely terrible. And the things that they said to us were horrible. And I, like they were absolutely terrible people. And I knew. As soon as I, as I sat down and saw the first bit, I'm like, I'm not working here. 
at all. <laughs> but I'm definitely going to the end of this interview because I need to see what's what this is all about. And there, there is no way I'm working for UNICEF now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it's not, not UNICEF. Um, I, I'll tell you all, but actually I should write about it because it's that it, it was that bonkers. I like that totally because when you write about it, I won't read it, but then you'll read about it or read what you wrote about it. it. Yeah. You read a bit and then I'll listen to what you, what you read about it. So, Hey, Tracy, how about no, you? Right. Yeah, I've, uh, there's been, there's been very few that like, by the time I got to the end of the interview that I still wanted. <laughs> uh, you know, cause I'm yeah. like, well, yeah, you're a douchebag and you'll be my boss. So I think, uh, I think, uh, I'm going to spend the rest of this interview answering all your questions in broken Spanish, <laughs> if, that, <laughs> if that's okay. But, um, I, I think what's interesting about the dynamic in, in this one is that, uh, there's, uh, I'm fully confident I would be much, much better for the company if they chose me and but the interesting thing about it is like you said it's a, it's an internal uh interview they already kind of know what they want yep but after 17 years there's something but there's something psychologically that happens when you spend some time talking about your credentials because you don't do that at a job you go to your work and all you're known for doing is what you do. Your, yeah. In fact, your past doesn't matter at all. Yep. When you put a resume together, it's the totality of your experience and, and accomplishments and all those things that, are, by the way, outside of your company, they care about those things inside your company where they pay you. They don't care. Right. And, and so it's interesting to have an opportunity to sit down and talk about why that you matter. And yeah. talk mm -hmm. about like why it is that like, oh, yeah, you've done things, you know, things you've accomplished things, you have a proven track record. No, not not why you've been watching me. The, not why yeah, we've yeah. been working together and I roll yeah. my eyes at all the stupid crap you say in meetings. No, not all those times, but all the other times. I'm a rock star. Just I, not here. I really not hope you, you. I hope you carried all this sarcastic hostility into the interview because if you did, I'm sure it went well. I'm saving it for the second one. Oh, so right. I, I one. hope they listen to this episode and they just hear you say, "I am certain that I am better <laughs> yeah. than everybody else." <laughs> well, I, I mean, there's. I've said fairly. There's a number of different reasons why anybody may or may not select me. But what I'm saying is, they know what they have in me. They know yeah. already. They either want it or they don't. There's no illusions of it. But I've had, uh, I have had a wonderful time talking to people, talking to my job about what it is that I have done, what it is I'm capable of doing, yep. you know, or just what my track record, education and things that I care about. Uh, having them ask questions about what I think or books I've read or anything. Stuff nobody ever asks. Yeah. Did you, and did so you... It's, it's, did you pull it's, out the previous work experience highlight of actually being the founder of Motorhead Mondays? Uh, yes, I did. Uh, yeah, indirectly. Yes, um, indirectly. Yeah, I think it was. Yes, I it was, sponsored music events for my team. <laughs> yes, <laughs> for those and that's of you. The other thing is like you. Uh, I have. Uh, uh, there's there's less. You know, no, but you can't. You don't embellish your uh, requirements and in, in or your uh, accomplishments when you've worked someplace that long, uh, for certain. So, um, yeah, I mean, I have low expectations that they'll hire me, but, um, but I am, uh, but I have no doubts that, um, 
that uh, it would be a smart move for them to do that. Yeah. Where where yeah. I work where I work now the it's not always this case and so if anybody interviews where I work uh, and this happens to you don't think it's a hundred percent but it's it's nine times out of ten if you if you have your lunch interview if you make it through the first say like two or three rounds and then you have your lunch interview and then you're told thank you we'll we'll be in touch you did not get the job. If, however, you go through your lunch interview and they say, hey, why don't you come back to the office? I got a couple more people for you to meet with and talk to. You're doing great and and no pressure, but keep it up. And I've had many people who now know that they know that's how it works. And I've had to be the soul crushing person that takes them out to the lunch interview, knowing that they've got three no hires sitting on their plate already. And me knowing that I'm just supposed to put a burger in their belly so that they get something out of the day and send them on their way. And when you say, okay, well, it was great meeting you. Uh, you know, we'll, we'll be in touch. You can read it on their face. They're just instantly like, I didn't get, I had one person say, I didn't get the job. Did I? And I was like, you know, I've of course got to use the, well, that's not for me to make the final call on. You know, there's a lot of candidates where we'll, we'll be in touch and we'll let you know. We'll see how it goes. Do you want another burger? But they, they just, (laughs) yeah, they know. So, all right. Uh, we, we got, I can tell you that I did make it past lunch interviews, but not at that company. Gotcha. All right. Yeah. Good yeah, job. So, so what do you think it was? <laughs> what do you guys think? It, 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 what do you think it was? Part of it I'm might be that, that weird quirk you have of always wanting to take your shirt off for lunch. A lot of that is, that is how a lot of cultures eat lunch. It, it's I don't true. understand why it's such a big deal in this, in this town. Hey, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back on the Dave and Steve Show. John Tortello Games and the Dave and Steve Show Fun Factory proudly present the hottest new game on the market. The official Dave and Steve Show board game. Set up the board, grab the dice, and take on the exciting role of middle-aged men pretending to be radio personalities at home as you recreate all of your favorite Dave and Steve Show moments. One, two, three, four. Oh, neat! I landed on the what did you do last week square. Time to draw a card and find out what exciting stuff I get to talk about. It says allergies acting up. That's kind of lame. I'm going to draw again. Yard work? Hang on, let me try one more. Crockpot recipes? Oh, what the f***? Nothing recreates the sadness of three aging has-beens living out their radio fantasies quite like the official Dave and Steve Show board game. One, two, three. Uh Uh-oh. Draw a technical difficulties card. I wonder what that will be. Internet problems? Bad mic? Oh shoot! My webcam isn't working. Back two squares I go. And the official Dave and Steve Show board game is fun for the whole family. Watch out, Dad. You're about to land on... Oh, no. I landed on the body rash square. I guess we know what you'll be talking about the next three turns. The Dave and Steve Show board game comes with everything you need. Just strap on the plastic Dave and Steve Show headphones. Toy headphones, not functional. Grab your Dave and Steve Show microphone. Toy microphone does not work. And roll the dice to see who will be first to hit fame and fortune. Let's see. It looks like I get to book a guest. Time to draw a guest card. 
Oh, I hope it's someone famous. It says here, you reached out to a C-list celebrity, but they never email you back. Lose two turns. Huh? That's weird. That's what all these guest cards say. So race out today to your favorite gaming store, department store, or wherever high-quality board games are sold, and ask for the official Dave and Steve Show board game. You'll be glad you did. Hi, this is Steve of the Dave and Steve Show. Believe me when I tell you that the official Dave and Steve Show board game is the best Dave and Steve Show board game you can buy. Or my name isn't Steve of the Dave and Steve Show, makers of the hit board game, the official Dave and Steve Show board game. Hey everybody, let's order some Wild Horse Pizza and play another round! Yeah! yeah! Introducing the world's newest, silliest, and hamburger-eatingest clown, Ronald McDonald. Now, where is that clown? Oh, Ronald, Ronald. Hey, here's an unpopular opinion for you. I like silly fast food, cartoon-like characters. Ronald McDonald, Grimace, the Hamburglar, and even that creepy Burger King dude with the weird face and the pigtailed freckled Wendy. I love the crazy world they come from and the ridiculous backstories that come with all of them. Call them mascots, marketing gimmicks, or silly personas. I love them all. I think it's because when I'm doubled over with stomach cramps and coping with the bloat of intestinal gas that's ready to fire a wad of a non-digestible mass out the nearest exit, I want a face to put on this suffering. I want someone to blame. I want vengeance. This has been Tracy's Grimace is not a taste bud. Minute. It's true. I, I, I'm with you, though. I, I think about, like, I know way too much about the backstories of all of the, <laughs> uh, of the McDonald's characters. Like, Mayor McCheese, like, I shouldn't yeah. know that shit. Um, you know, like uh, the hamburger saying "robble robble." The yeah. fact that Birdie was introduced to introduce the McDonald's breakfast, yeah. you know, stuff. I mean, that's but that's I, what I makes that. Grimace such an enigma because we don't know anything about Grimace. He's a he's a mystery. Yeah, I mean, he started off as the evil Grimace, and then like then he was just sort of happy and go lucky. And yeah, uh, we hey, don't know so what to believe. Have you guys ever had Korean barbecue? Oh yes, absolutely. Like at One a time. at a proper like Korean barbecue place where they have the like jet engines hanging from the ceiling and like cook the stuff. You have to cook your own stuff. Oh yeah, I, I've also had it in uh, real Korean family homes of okay. with real Koreans. Okay. So I so when I was in New York, I had Korean barbecue and everybody was talking it all up. The food was amazing, but I I will say this: the. Uh, the the redneck white boy that I am, I I did not know. I had never been. I didn't know what the hell I was supposed to do. And I had the, because they have you, if you've never been, because I had never been, so I'm going to explain this real quick. Imagine a little mini volcano in the center of your table that's basically made out of cast iron. Right. And it's sloped like that. It's, you know, an upside down cone, effectively. And there's a giant, it looks like some kind of weird giant chrome vacuum cleaner that's hanging over each table. And that's the heat. It's just a blower that blows like scalding hot heat down on this thing. And so they come around with raw meat, vegetables, things like that, and they put it all on your table. And then you're supposed to throw it up on this skillet thing, and then you're supposed to stir it around. You got They give you tongs, and you're supposed to kind of... So you're effectively kind of cooking for yourself. I, I, had have, the I have opinions on that. I had, the, I had the tongs in my hands for around 20 seconds. 
when one of the, the servers came up and yanked the tongs out of my hands and informed me that I was stirring far too fast and that I was going to ruin, literally said, you're going to ruin the meal if you keep doing that. And I wanted so badly <laughs> to snap back and say, I'm sorry, I've never been to a restaurant that I pay for the food and have to cook it. You'll have to forgive me. So, but I didn't say anything. I was just like, oh, okay. all right, uh, I'm sorry. And so they took pity on me. Even though we were at a table of six, they took pity on me. And, and I was now the, the representative for the entire table. They just assumed the entire table had never been and didn't know how to do it. And they literally cooked the food. They like stirred it and prepared it for us because I had screwed it up so badly I will say this, the food was incredible. It was so delicious, and I would gladly go back again, but someone else has taken those tongs. It's too much no, responsibility. But, uh, you should be happy. I mean, this is one of those bittersweet things. Like, you got a sweet deal for your whole table, but it's only because you were the lowest common denominator, yeah. and they thought everyone else was as inept as you. Exactly. And, and, and they were not. come over to your plate and cut everything up into little pieces <laughs> for you as well? Because that's, that's how I would feel. I'd be like, no, this is yeah. yeah. So and that... I do think it's bullshit that there's places that um, when when you pay for it that you have to prepare it. I'm like, uh, that's no. Like with the with pho, right? Um, yeah. You, you get it. They bring all the stuff out on the side. I'm like, no, man, I, I, or I don't know how to make it. That's why I came here. Yeah. You know, don't, don't, I don't know what to yeah, do. Yeah. I mean, you should get some uh, training or something. I mean, if there's expectations that you're supposed to meet, it'd be nice to get some training on it. All I'm saying is this, when I go to, iFly and I get in the giant air tube and I'm, I'm floating around in the air tube, I've never done it before. So somebody has to walk me through how to do it. They have to show me how to put my arms out, how to float, how to get the wind current under me, how to do all that kind of stuff. Very relatable, by the way. Right? I, yeah. I, I feel the same way. So when it comes to cooking meat on a giant uh, dome-shaped hot skillet with a jet engine hanging from the ceiling above you, I feel like you should at least get some kind of walkthrough. Because I will make this argument. Korean barbecue is more dangerous than a simulated skydiving air tube that you get in. Because oh, that, yeah. that, quite, quite that honestly, engine, that, that blower, that furnace, whatever you want to call it, I mean, I... I I could just imagine it being like a scene out of Terminator 2 if you put your arm under that thing. Like, it would just melt it right off. And so food was really good, but I'm highly intimidated to go back there again. I think I will because of how good the food was. I just, I will, when the tongs come out, I'm going to politely excuse myself to go use the restroom, and hopefully somebody else will take, the, take up the mantle while I'm gone. So, all right, uh, let's find out what Tracy has in the headlines. And now, straight from the Dave and Steve Show news desk in beautiful Anytown, USA Plaza, it's Tracy Green with this week's headlines. Yeah! Our first story, it turns out cows can be potty trained as easily as toddlers, but maybe easier. That's no bull. Nah. Scientists put the task to the test. And 11 out of 16 cows learned to use the potty when they had to go. It just like some parents, the researchers used a sweet treat to coax the cows to push through a gate and urinate into a special pen. And it took only 15 days to train some young calves, some kids. Like, mo like mochi, like the, like little, like little, you know, Japanese ice cream. Right. Little mochi. That's what they used. Yeah. Uh, I have, I, you guys know this, I grew up on a cattle farm. Well, I didn't grow up on a no. cattle farm, but when I was like 14, my dad built a cattle farm, and then I grew up on the cattle farm from that point on. We never tried to train a cow. 
uh, I'm I'm actually pretty shocked that this worked because they're some of the dumbest creatures walking the earth, short of maybe a sheep. But I will say this, randomly, and it was, you know, we had, at any one time, we had 3,000 cows on the farm. You would get one just randomly out of nowhere that was what I would refer to as social. All the other cows, like if you walked anywhere near them, even though they were totally used to humans and that you were feeding them and all that kind of stuff, they would move away quickly. They would kind of skirt away from the fence. <clears throat> there would be one that would... That doesn't know what's coming. That would come right up to you, that would stick its head through, that wanted to be scratched on the head, that wanted to be scratched behind the ears. And then it would just, it would follow you down the fence line and it would follow you for days. <laughs> Steve, I just realized what you said. We weren't, we weren't a slaughterhouse. We were a dairy <laughs> cow place. So these, they weren't in any, any real jeopardy unless, you know, dad got hungry. But the, the, uh, it is a weird thing how like one in every, if I had to guess, I'd say one in every thousand was just overly social and like liked humans and one. I they think were... uh, Iron Maiden did a song on this. <laughs> yeah, I remember that. Actually, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. Keep going, Tracy. So, social cows. Yes. Is, is, so the is cows are at least as good as children aged two to four, and at least as quick. Said the study's author, Lindsay Matthews, an animal behavioral scientist of the University of Auckland. Our second story. Audrey Oliver knows the difference between a store-bought tomato and one fresh from the farm. Nowadays, the fresh ones show up on her doorstep every other week. That's because Oliver, who is 66, food literally is medicine. She receives a box of fruits and vegetables as part of a farm sea movement that treats ah. fresh produce as a way to promote health, just like a pill or other prescriptions. You guys know so, this. I, I grew up on a tomato farm. No, I'm kidding. I <laughs> So um, I wonder if um, they can use um, any money out of that use it or lose it bullshit health savings account to pay for those uh, um, uh, tomatoes instead of you, if you call it medicine, can you use your, your um, uh, health savings account that you're never going to see if you don't spend all that money by, you know, December 31st. Yeah. Right. Well, and the, I always, I always picture the boardroom of people just high-fiving the shit out of each other when someone walks in with pharmacy. But yes. get it? It's F-A-R-M, and everybody goes like, whoa, there it is! And then high-fives all over the place, yeah. and everybody's all excited because somebody came up with a witty pun. I, I, I don't know why I always think of that, but I, I do. Is there a vegetable or anything that you've eaten where that actually just makes you feel better? Just out of curiosity. Well, I hate vegetables in general. It's Steve probably knows this because we've known each other a long time. I was so freaking finicky. I mean, you could not. I, I mean, short of like a carrot or something like that. My actual intake of vegetables was yeah. nil. Like no tomatoes, no broccoli, no cabbage, no spinach, no nothing. And as time has gone on. I have learned to eat all that stuff and I'm, I'm mostly fine with all of it now. I still don't really care for onions, yeah. but, but I like it. And so to your point, Tracy, and to your question, spinach, like if I eat a lot of raw spinach, I get a lot of energy. I feel really good. I like, so now when I make salads, I make spinach salads because I like, like the way Popeye. they make me feel. Yeah, right. Exactly. It, it is quite remarkable when I was in Saudi Arabia, when eating food that was, you know, primarily it was all halal prepared that I don't know if it's just food intolerances I had or anything, but everything that I was eating there, 
I felt better every time I ate. Yeah. Like and it was, it was, and it was demonstrably um, uh, different. And I don't know that it was worth it uh, to go there and eat in every other way, but, uh, but certainly. Yeah. But I also wonder, fantastic. I also wonder how much of that is just the fact that even the, I won't even name a supermarket, but the bag of spinach that I buy from the supermarket there's a very good chance there's a lot of extra shit going on behind the scenes to get me that bag of spinach in terms of preservatives and yeah. additives and things sprayed on those vegetables and all that kind of stuff. And when you get you've seen people do this many times. I'm not the first to bring this up, but we have a good friend, as an example, who has free range chickens and she brings us eggs all the time. And so I showed my kids I cracked open one of the free range eggs Way and then different. I cracked open one of the eggs from the supermarket and it is literally like somebody turned the color slider down on the one that I, it's, you don't realize how gray a store-bought egg is versus like yeah. a, a, just a naturally. It's, and it's almost orange. The yolk is almost correct, orange. Yeah, Correct. And it it's is. the same kind of thing. Like the, you know, we, we say yeah, like we're eating spinach, but you're not eating spinach out of a, your garden in the back unless you're Steve's parents. You're eating spinach that you bought from your, your supermarket chain. Right. And that's not the same thing. So Tracy, I wonder if that's, that's part of it is when you go to a lot of these other countries who don't have as many, they don't have a Walmart on every third corner. They're, they're growing and, and sourcing these things from actual markets where they're being grown and taken out of the ground that very day. And I wonder if that adds to it as well. Yeah. There, I mean, there definitely is a more farm to table connection. And uh, I mean, and it's why I've said still that for day, uh, cocaine is really the only vegetable yep. I, I enjoy. hundred percent. I'm right there yeah. with you. So. And remember, uh, you didn't yeah. remember it's not an emergency you just had beats last night <laughs> that's right yeah. Yeah. our third story in a suburban denver warehouse tucked between an auto repair shop and a computer recycling business is a business that is literally dealing with life and death this company has built a vessel they hope will usher in a more environmentally friendly era of mortuary science that includes the natural organic reduction of human remains also known as body composting so we had this conversation when when i was actually walking uh in new york it was just one of those times where we had a break and so there were a couple of us that were out walking we had this exact conversation of i said i don't even want to be if i'm cremated that's fine i want my whatever happens to me ultimately i want it to be the the least amount of heavy lifting by anybody and what i mean is i don't even want somebody to save my ashes then you've got a box somewhere or an urn somewhere of these ashes you got to carry around everywhere. Like, I, just just remember me for who I am, burn my body to a crisp, and whatever is done with the ashes, if they're taken to a mm. landfill with all the other ashes from the chickens that were burned in there and everything else, I don't, I don't care. Like, just, just get, I don't need to be spread anywhere. I don't need to have, and so this kind of thing, like composting, if there's an actual environmental benefit to this potentially, I, I could be really down with that. I I disagree. What I I want, and I've said it's in my uh, it's in my will. I want a Viking funeral, <laughs> and so I I want <laughs> which is I, which is going to be something special after because they're going to have the Viking funeral and they're going to have to talk about how you died in the sports car with the supermodels at the Viking funeral. So it's going to get really weird. It's good. Yeah, it's going gonna, it's gonna to be weird. It's going to be weird enough that I'm tempted to fake my death just to be able to hear that conversation. <laughs> I, I like the body composting idea, but what 
but what I'd really like to have happen is have my body, um, like taken out into the wilderness and buried, but buried with like my head through a bicycle wheel and like, um, you know, with a, with a football under my arm and, you know, like, like a, like a sausage press, like all these things that anthropologists in, you know, 800 years will be like, well, here's something we uncovered yeah, yeah. and we have no idea what the hell happened to this guy in the, in that industry. It's called salting a dig. I, by the way. I would, I would salt the shit out of that dig. <laughs> I would, I, 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 I want that to be like, well, his legs are bound, but he's got a party hat on. Yeah. I don't understand. I don't and know. I, I want, want it to be a thing where they push on your belly and it does the, and you've yeah. got one of those chickens up your butthole. Like that makes the noise like rubber, rubber chicken <laughs> and the rubber chicken is in a bag. So it's perfectly preserved. Yeah. Like they knew yeah. he was, and this, yeah. I guess this was a tradition. Yeah. So yeah, yeah that that's vaguely, uh, that's vaguely like Egyptian. They'll be making like, uh, uh, some, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark 71, <laughs> uh, involve, uh, that. It so it's a natural process where the body is returned to an elemental level over a short period of time. The company founder said, the like in the practice to backyard composting of food scraps in yard waste. This is the same process, but done with a human body inside of a vessel. And in our case, in a controlled environment. They, they have those things where, where you can become a tree, right? They, they'll bury you and, and your body fertilizes the tree seedling and then your tree grows or whatever. It's, it's literally, it's, it's yeah, the opposite a of a, it's the opposite of a placenta tree. Right. Yeah, totally. It's, it's your dead ass body tree. The circle of life tree. <laughs> yeah. so in uh, September 7th, Colorado became the second state after Washington state to allow human body composting. Oregon will allow the, pro the practice well, soon. This, that's it's so Oregon funny you said this because I was like, I was actually going to say Washington and Colorado are in a race to see which state can be most liberal the fastest. And Oregon is always trying to play catch up. And that's exactly what I was going to say is Oregon is always the one that's like us too. Don't forget about us running behind the two of them. And Oregon here we are. jumped ahead with the, with the magic mushrooms thing though. Sure. So yeah, they're, sure. they're the, they're the only one that's doing that, yep. but you're right. They are, they're or, always one step behind. Oregon, uh, Oregon is a, is a mishmash of things where they would be like, Hey, years ago, they are like, Hey, assisted suicide. You should know when it's right for you to end your life, but there's no way we'll, we'll let you pump your own gas. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so you just you get kind of a mishmash of uh, of uh, liberties there. It so is the weirdest, and I'm glad you said this, Tracy. The, the are you guys? I I'm so awkward when I go to the gas stations in Oregon. My mom lives down there. My sister lives down there. I'm in Oregon a fair amount, and I'm always awkward around the people because you're so used to getting out of your vehicle and pumping your gas, and when you have somebody. You got to hand them the card. They're asking you what type of fuel you want. All these things that you never have to think about. I'm always, I feel like, I don't know. I've, I've, I'm not creeped out is not the right word, but I get really nervous, I guess, around because I, I don't know how I'm supposed to act. I, I ask them lots of questions. Which fuel do you recommend? Yeah. Do you have a special on the a fuel special of the day? If you think that's bad, 
I have an electric car, so we go down there. They plug me in. It's 45 minutes. You, right. you guys are out in five minutes. I got to yeah. stand there and talk to this guy for 45 minutes uh, about the weather and uh, why he's looking at me like that. Wait, are you serious? You serious, Clark? No, are you serious <laughs> in that they that you can't even plug in your own car in Oregon? Dude, I have no idea. Oh, I've never Jesus. done that. And, okay. and I, I'm a little freaked out to try it now because I'm thinking well, about it. I don't want to have to do that. Right? I quite literally, you're right about the, the, the discomfort. I would always fuel up again. I'm driving through Oregon. Yeah. I would fuel yeah. up again in Vancouver. 100%. Have a full tank and drive all the way through the whole stupid state. And I would I would limp to the next gas first gas station across before I got to the Siskiyous in California, to you know finally you know, just experience you know pumping my own gas and never had to rely on a nineteen year old <laughs> yep. high school dropout. Yep. To, hyper hyper miling all the way to California. Yes, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like absolutely. Mad Max where you're blowing the gas and then you're <laughs> shutting the engine down for and just yeah. Oh my yeah. god. <laughs> So our fourth story, the corporate hand-wringing started at almost the same time as the lockdown orders. But if all our workers are at home where we can't see them, how can we possibly know they're actually working? But leave it to technology companies to figure out a way to find a solution to reassure your boss miles away that you are indeed working and doing what you are paid to do. Um, Sandy Milney recently reported of the rise of what is called bossware or tattleware, essentially spyware that enables managers to monitor their employees working from home. That includes a new program called Sneak, which uses your webcam to take a photo of, of you about once a minute and makes it available to your supervisor to prove that you are not away from your desk doing God knows what. You're not warned so in advance, so the photograph that Sneak takes can catch you doing pretty much anything. Uncle Dave's going to give you a little advice right now. If you are working at a job that in any way, shape, or form requires anything even remotely close to this, that is not the job you want to be working at and get the hell out of there and go find something else. There's lots of companies hiring right now. There is... I get it if it, you know... I don't I was about to say I get it if... And then I was trying to think of a job where it would be okay... There's no job. Like, if you don't have the trust of your your boss and you, it's not the right job. Go find something else. Nine one one operator. Other than that, no. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you know everything totally. else. Totally. It's not that important. Yep. Yeah. I that yeah. Tracy. I know. <laughs> I know your your stance on Big Brother and monitoring and things of that nature. <laughs> um, I have to assume you're for this. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, just one of those, th this is one of those things that in general uh, is never used for the right reasons. And so even if there is a practical and sort of good side to it, this is always, somebody invented this actually exploiting the worst in company relations and employee relations, not the best. And so if you are uh, work for, as Dave said, if you're working for a company that is using this, they are not using it um, to sort of ensure your productivity. They are, they're using it to assert power uh, in the worst ways. And this, isn't, and this would just be one example of the ways they are probably abusing it. Let me ask you guys this. Uh, so we, we all do Zoom calls now. We all do some kind of video conferencing call, whatever you want to use. When you guys are done for the day or you have a break or anything like that, do you either unplug your webcam or at very least tilt your webcam up 
or in a direction that's not looking right at you? Tracy's shaking his head no. I shut mine. I mean, I, I shut mine off or take it off my computer. Um, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't like having it on. Yeah, I don't unplug mine, but I do. I effectively tilt it all the way up to where it's pointing at the ceiling. And I, don't, I don't know why. It's so weird. Now that this story is, is yeah. out, I'm going to do it even more often. But it is just a thing where, uh, listen, I'll be the first to say on the show if I'm like pleasuring myself and don't want to be on camera. It's, it's nothing like that. It is literally just a... I don't want to be watched. I don't, and I'm not doing anything. I'm not, for once, snorting lines of coke with Tracy off the desk. But, or but anything you've like left that. the meeting, though, right? Right. You've totally. You've left the meeting and this yeah. portal into your. Yeah. Uh, I, I think if I had, um, um, I have. I feel like I have a lot more control over the devices on my system than probably most people do. So, um, because I, I can disable devices, so that. So do you disable devices it. though? What's that? Do you disable devices? Yes. Okay. So that that's my question is like what? Yeah, what I mean, steps do you yeah, do? I do, and uh, I mean that that can kind of run into problems. But like rebooting it, you know, rebooting the system will I, they're set to come on when I reboot, so that's fine. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think you know this, and I think most people listening probably know this. If you don't know this, though. Something as benign as, as your little robot friend that you can ask what the weather is going to be like today and you can add things to your shopping list, that thing's always on. Like it is, unless you physically unplug it or hit the mute button, and even the mute button, I don't know that I trust, all these devices that we have in our home can listen at any time. And that's not mm -hmm. some like weird little conspiracy theory or anything. That is... That's how tech works. And so Right. And and it's not it was it wasn't designed and for the most part is not used for any other thing except to um target you into cohorts so that you and the people that you associate in contact with can be um understood better so that advertising can be more reliably sold to you. That is really, really what it is. It isn't um your information isn't aggregated. Uh, in any other sort of meaningful way, but it can be right. And so once it's collected, it can be. So like, that's the thing that everybody is, is most worried about. And so it's, uh, it's, you know, that's one of those things. It's uh, you kind of have to balance how it is that you want to use the immense amount of like um, productivity and usefulness that these products give you. Um, kind of at the expense of listening to really just about everything you're doing. Yep, I was I was bombing through a uh, UK uh, northern UK town once in a taxi, and Microsoft had actually come out with this thing called a Connect. It was a camera that could like track you, and it could basically it did a lot of different things. You could stand in front of it, and you could dance for games, and it would mimic. It, it would basically translate whatever you were doing onto the screen onto your character. But it also had a lot of, of tools, a lot of abilities as far as you could say Xbox on, and it would turn your Xbox on and a few other things. And so uh, this was before I really knew about technology well, um, or at least this type of technology. And I had a cab driver say, like, is it true that that thing's always listening to you? And being the jackass that I am, I was like, oh, absolutely. It's always listening to you. He was like, is it really? And I said, yeah, it's, it, it listens to you and it sends everything that, that you say to the mothership. I was being a complete jackass, and I don't know if the Kinect did or not. I like I wasn't deep enough into that hardware to know anything about it. But now, smash cut to five years later, and all these things really are. <laughs> you caused Brexit, yeah, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, totally. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, that one little right. bit of thing. No, man, I'm telling you, there it is. We got it. We got to break yep. off from the European Union. They all have yep. Xbox. Yep. Yep. So anyway, uh, human composting and uh, quit that job. That's Bingo. the news, fella. All right, we've run long. Uh, it was a good first show back after my little getaway. Uh, we have a big guest coming up, and I don't want to. I don't want to do it a disservice by mentioning it at the tail end of the show. So tune in next week. We'll we'll tease who we're going to have coming up on the show. Uh, this is could somebody, this be our biggest guest ever? I would say this well, is on par with like an Adam Carolla that we've yeah. had on the show before. I th- I think it's that level of of guest. Uh, so we're going to talk about this next week. We'll let you know who it is. Uh, so tune in for that. Before we get out of here tonight, Steve, anything else from you? Uh, I'm I'm excited about this guest, and uh, and I am glad you're back, Dave. And this is this. Thank you. This is a confirmed guest. This is not a we might be getting this person. We have a confirmed date to record, and we're all set. So, Tracy, anything else from you? Uh, I am. I'll have updates on uh, what happened during uh, my job interview. Yeah. Uh, next week. So that's yeah, that's yeah, tomorrow. That's so uh, good luck, so, yeah. Tracy. Best of him, luck, Tiger. Tracy. Oh, yeah. yes. I'll be, I'll, I'll be ready. All right. For Steve, for Tracy, for me, Dave, we'll talk to you next time right here on The Dave and Steve Show. Like